0: this morning we're in John chapter number four. If you have your Bibles here, you can open them up and we can go to John chapter number four. If you're visiting with us, we're busy uh, in the gospel of John. We're busy doing a series on the gospel of John, and we've gone through John chapter number one, chapter number two, chapter number three, uh, and we've come to this point uh, this morning where I want to talk to you about the point of worship. What is the point of of worship. Why do we worship? What is worship really? What does worship, true worship, look like? And uh, we come to John chapter number four, and uh, and verse five. Before I read that, we have seen how John is busy painting a picture for us of what Jesus is like. That's what people really need to know. That's what people need to know. They, they worship Jesus says, at some point. People go through religious motions and they go through religious actions and they might even attend church and they might even uh, go through all of those, those procedures. But yet, oftentimes people worship what they don't know. They worship something or somebody or an idea of God without actually knowing who God is. And what Jesus came to do was reveal God to us. He came to show us what God is really like. And so what we've seen in these first three chapters of the book of John is, number one, that John goes, Jesus is actually God. He is God. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. That's how he starts his book. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made through him. So Jesus is God. The second thing is, is that Jesus became flesh. That word, that God became flesh in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. And what he did is he revealed God to us. We didn't know what God was like, but Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. And what did we see when we saw Jesus? We saw that God is full of grace and he's full of truth. God is full of grace and he is full of truth. He loves us and he he became to us grace upon grace. So Jesus is God who became flesh And after having become flesh, he comes to change the way we relate to God forever. That's where we go into John chapter number two, where we see how Jesus goes to the wedding in Cana and he turns the water into wine. He takes us from from the ritual of purification, the water that was used to wash our hands, uh, according to the law, the Jewish rites of purification to his blood to the grace of God. He changes how we relate to God forever. He storms into the temple and drives out every sacrifice and declares, I am the only sacrifice for sin. And now my house, the house of God, will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So Jesus completely changes the game. And then we looked last week at the story of Nicodemus, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, I understand that you are a religious teacher sent from God because nobody could do what you did unless God sent him unless God was with him. And Jesus answers in a very surprising way. He says, he says, unless you are born again, unless you are united with me through faith, unless what I am gonna do for you on the cross applies to your life, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus says is that he has changed forever the way that we relate to God. It's no longer through a religious system that we are made right with God. But the way that we are made right with God, the way that we are made righteous is by putting our faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And if you don't do that, if you don't find your life in Jesus, you cannot even see the kingdom. You cannot even see it. So we said last week, Jesus isn't religiously knowable. You can't know Jesus religiously or through, it's not a set of principles. People turn Christianity into a set of principles. Oh, you've just got to live these principles, then you're a Christian. No, it's not a set of principles. It's a person called Jesus and you find your faith and your life in him. You trust him for your salvation. That's what Jesus is saying. That's how we're saved. And so this morning we come to John chapter number four and we look at once you have put your faith in Jesus, once you have trusted in Jesus, once you have uh, uh, believed and, and trusted in what he did for you on the cross as an individual, what he did for you, what kind of life does it produce? How are we able to find the point of worship, the point at which our lives become a statement of gratitude and worship to God? So we're gonna read John chapter four and verse five. It says, so he, speaking about Jesus, he was in Judea, he had been baptizing there and the Pharisees heard about it, so he decided to leave and, and he left and it says that as he was leaving, he was on his way to Galilee and passing by, he took the shortest route and he traveled uh, through this town called Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar and near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is middle of the day, noon, about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. He's been traveling, he's tired, he's weary, he's sitting by the well of Jacob, and a woman comes along, and Jesus says, give me a drink. And uh, we're gonna talk about this verse a little bit and look at the point of worship together in the time that we have left this morning. So why don't we just go ahead right now uh, and just pray and just thank Jesus for this time. Father, we thank you right now that we can just sit and and be taught by your spirit, Father God, that our hearts are open, that our minds are open, Lord God, that we are here, Lord Jesus, to hear your word, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, and to, Father, be, be led to trust in you more deeply, and more sincerely than we ever have before. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us on that cross. We have no right being in your presence. We have no right standing before you. We have no right to be called your children in our own selves, but because of what you did, Father, you have made us worthy. You have made us the righteousness of God. And so we can just enjoy your presence here this morning, Lord Jesus, and and hear your voice. Your, Your word says, my sheep shall know my voice. And we pray that you speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So around this time last year, uh, my wife and I took our first ever trip to the Middle East. Uh, We went out to the UAE. And we had some friends that had invited us to go out and be with them there uh, in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and that area. And uh, we we knew, we had heard that it is really hot out there. Uh, But nothing really prepared us for the kind of heat that you experience when you go to the Middle East. Uh, I remember getting off of the airplane and as I stepped off the airplane, it was about five o'clock in the morning just after five in the morning and the temperature was already getting close to 50 degrees Celsius out there. You stepped out of the airplane and and it wasn't via a sky bridge. We had to walk downstairs and then walk into the airport. And I remember feeling like someone had smacked me in the face with a kettle, like a kettle that had just been boiled. Uh, just the heat is absolutely suffocating. You walk out there and you're like, how? And you, you're just, you're just, hoping and praying for an air conditioner somewhere. You, you just wanna find an aircon and just sit there and go nowhere else. And I remember that on, on one specific day, we took a trip into Dubai and we went to a mall And uh, we wanted to save a bit of money. We knew that there was a hotel nearby, one of the most expensive hotels in the world. It cost four billion US dollars to build. It's called the Emirates Hotel, the Emirates Palace. And and we wanted to, to walk over to the Emirates Palace. We came out of the mall and we could see it. It was maybe a kilometer, kilometer and a half away. We could see it from the steps as we came out of the mall. And we thought, why take a taxi for such a short distance? We'll just walk there and uh, it, was, it was about 11 in the morning, and we took about 10 steps. And about 10 steps later, we both turned around and we said, there is no way, there is absolutely no way we are walking to that place over there. It, even if it was 20 meters away, we need a taxi, because it is so incredibly hot. And so I kind of got a better understanding and a better picture of this verse with Jesus walking when he had walked from Judea all the way to Samaria, which is roughly 50 kilometers. And he arrives in Samaria at this time of the day, which is middle of the day. It's noon. We walked out at about 11 in the morning. Jesus arrives at midday and having just walked about 50 kilometers, he falls down. So the Bible's actually really understating Jesus's condition here, right? Jesus is absolutely bedraggled, Jesus is tired. When it says he is weary from his walk, when the Son of God gets weary from his walk, you know he's tired, you know this is serious. And so he, he just falls down by the side of this well, so tired, so thirsty, And this woman comes by and Jesus says, give me a drink. You can hear the desperation in his voice, all that that distance that he had covered. This is one of the things that I absolutely love about the gospel. One of the things that I love about the life of Jesus is that he experienced the same hardships in life as we do. That Jesus, the Son of God came to be with us and he knew what it was like to be tired. Jesus knew what it was like to be thirsty. Jesus knew what it was like to be weary, to be worn out. He had firsthand experience of what it means to be disappointed or rejected or talked about or hurt. Jesus suffered the same things that we suffered. He suffered the same temptations. He suffered the same hardships, the same hunger, the same weariness, the same sunburn and chapped lips as we do. He was God with us. And I love that about Jesus. I love that about our faith. I love that about God, is that we're not worshiping some God who sits up in a lofty templed, air-conditioned temple somewhere in heaven but a God who had the dust of this earth under his fingernails, who felt what it was like to walk through the the, the hottest part of the earth and, and to be absolutely wearied. Jesus is compassionate as a result. The Bible says that we have a compassionate high priest, someone who knows our struggles and cares very deeply about them whatever you're going through in your life, whatever you've been through in your life, it's so easy for us to believe that no one understands. But the truth is, is that Jesus has been there. That's the God that we serve. There's something else that I I love about this, this verse and about this picture of Jesus just tired by the side of the well. And that is, is that we know that Jesus was doing the will of God. He actually said it. He says, I don't do anything unless I I hear my Father in heaven telling me to do it. And I don't even speak a word unless it's what the Father tells me to speak, what the Father tells me to say. Jesus was the exact representation of God on earth. And everything he did and said and acted out was directly from God. It was a direct expression of the heart of God. So he's doing what God called him to do and yet there are times when he gets tired and when he gets wearied and when he uh, is thirsty and when he struggles and faces difficulty on the very night that he was arrested Jesus is in the garden praying with a great amount of stress over him. And he is, he's praying to God and he's saying, God, is there any other way? I don't want to do this. And why that's so important is because somewhere along the line, we have, as Christians have bought into this idea that if we're doing what God has called us to do, and if, and if we're on the, the right track with God and, and God's purpose for our lives, then we would never experience hardship. That we'll never get tired or they will never experience difficulty. So when we do, as Christians, when we believe that, and then we go through a difficult time, or we go through hardship, or we go through, through a time of, of, of just weariness, then we go, I must be missing God somewhere. I must have, have taken the wrong road, or this is not what God has for me, because if this is what God had for me, then I wouldn't feel this way, or I wouldn't be facing these difficulties. But I want to put it to you this morning just looking at Jesus absolutely in the will of God for his life and yet there are times when he is tired and and worn out perhaps the reason why we face difficulty is precisely because we're doing what God has called us to do precisely because we're on the right road precisely because we are walking in obedience to the call of God in our lives. And perhaps that is why there is difficulty at times and there are struggles at times. And perhaps it's because what God wants to do in our lives is deeper than just a surface level, just go through the motions or go through the actions. Jesus wants to do something deep in your life. You see, when Jesus is so wearied, he's so tired, he's so thirsty, He's sitting against a well that according to history was measured back in the 1600s and was about found to be more than 30 meters deep. You see, in the midst of our difficulty, God is doing something deep in our lives. And he wants to draw up a water from within us that isn't an earthly water. It's not something that's gonna satisfy temporarily It's not something that's just gonna benefit you for a moment, but something eternal as God is bringing redemption to your life. So Jesus sits next to the well, tired and thirsty. And in that state of weariness, God brings a Samaritan woman across Jesus's path. Isn't it amazing that sometimes when we feel the most ready, to be used by God. When we feel the most tired and the most worn out and we feel like our lives, we don't have it all together and we don't know where we're at and we're struggling and we're doubting. And isn't it amazing how in those moments, God can use us to touch the lives of somebody else. We hesitate far too much. We make it far too much about ourselves. Where God is using us. The Bible says we have heavenly treasure locked up in earthen vessels. So Jesus is, is sitting there and this woman comes along and he asks her for a drink. And we actually spoke about this woman uh, a few weeks ago in the message called Drink the Water, It's Free. Um, and I would like to encourage everybody just to get an even deeper perspective, if you haven't heard that message, a deeper perspective on this message and on this chapter in the book of John that you can, you can go and listen to that. But we saw that this woman was herself an outcast. Because for the same reason that you don't wanna be walking around in the Middle East in the middle of the day, nobody goes to fetch water in the middle of the day. Nobody goes to the well in the middle of the day. You go early in the morning and late in the evening, but you do not go in the middle of the day to collect water. And normally the woman would go to collect water together, yet this woman is completely alone. Why? Because she is an outcast because she has been shamed by her community and by the people around her, and we find out pretty soon why. Jesus actually, by the Holy Spirit, it's revealed to him, and, and he speaks this to her. He says, you have had five husbands, and the man that you are now with is not your husband. The man that you're living with, you're not married to, and you had five husbands before that. And through that, Jesus reveals to this woman that even though he is thirsty physically, and is, is weary from his journey physically, that she's got the kind of thirst that no water can quench, that no earthly thing can, can satisfy. In John four verse nine, we see Jesus speaking to this woman. John four verse nine, it says, "The Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria?" For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There was a big feud between these two. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew what God's gift was, if you knew what he is offering you, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And the obvious answer to that is yes. He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Not just a drink one time, not just a temporary fix for your thirst, but it becomes a well on the inside of you springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She still doesn't quite get what Jesus is talking about. But anyone who drinks of this water, Jesus says, anybody who drinks of of the water from this this well of Jacob, from the Old Testament, from the law, from, from any earthly thing that we can conjure up to quench our thirst, you're gonna be thirsty again. You're gonna be thirsty again. It's amazing that no matter what we try in life, to try and gain some measure of satisfaction and to quench our thirsts, all that happens is that we become more dissatisfied and more disillusioned. Do you know where, where cynicism comes from? Cynicism in our world, I'm sure you'll agree, is pretty cynical. It comes from people who have been disappointed again and again and again and again. The root of cynicism is disappointment. And what happens is that people look to certain things in this life to fulfill them, and when they, even may, they may even attain it or grab a hold of it to some measure, and yet they find it disappoints them because it doesn't fulfill them. I've experienced this, I'm pretty sure you have, that there are so many things that we can run after and chase in this life Yet nothing in this world can genuinely fill us. And that's what this woman had been doing. She had been running after relationships, thinking to herself, if I just get the right man in my life, I'll be fulfilled. If I can just have the right relationship, if I can just meet the right person, and this happens still to this day. So what people do is they get married they marry someone and then they go, but why am I not completely fulfilled by this person? Why am I not completely satisfied? Why is the, is, do I still feel like there's something missing in my life? And so they go, oh, I know why. It's the wrong person. And so they'll divorce that one and find another one and go, okay, this is the person that's gonna make me feel complete. You know, the whole you complete me thing. <laughs> and actually it's unfair. It's unfair to ask another human being to fulfil you in a way that only God can. That person will be crushed under the pressure of trying to fulfil you. And so she goes, Well, okay, second one obviously wasn't the guy. Let me try another one. Third one, fourth one, fifth one. She's now trying out the sixth to see if that's the guy that will cause her to be fulfilled. But What Jesus sees when he looks at her is someone who is genuinely thirsty. And for you, it might not be relationships, but it could be your career, or it could be what car you drive, or it could be what house you live in, or it could be what your friends say about you, or it could be your achievements, or it could be any number of things whatever we look to to fulfill us, Jesus goes, you're gonna be thirsty again. It's never going to be enough. And so he, he sees this thirst. He sees the thirst that this, this woman has and he speaks into it. He says to her, you're not gonna find it there. You're not gonna find it in your relationships. You're not gonna find it in your career. You're not gonna find it in your bank account. And let me just say that there's nothing wrong with having a good relationship. That's what we are part as a church of supporting. We're here to help all of you have good relationships in your lives. Good relationships are a blessing to us. So there's nothing wrong with, with, with being blessed and, and uh, being able to provide for your family. We believe that that's part of God's plan for your life and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car, living in a nice house or, or building a, a solid career unless you're finding your worth and your significance in those things. Unless you're looking to those things to actually quench your thirst. That's when the problem, when it becomes a problem because they can never fulfill you. So Jesus says, if you knew me, if you really knew who I was and the gift that I came to give you, you would know that this is something that won't fade away. This is something that won't dissipate. It's not like a well, like the well of Jacob that can run dry in a time of drought. But instead, if you put your faith in Jesus, he says, rivers of living water will flow from within you. Living water, you become a spring, a wellspring of life. This is a constant presence of God in your life. We're gonna talk about worship in a moment, so I'm leading us somewhere here. Stick with me if you can. But God actually wants to cause the inside of you to become a source of of the water of the Holy Spirit that is flowing from within you, continually being filled with his presence. John chapter number four, verse 19, we're just going through in this conversation that Jesus has with a woman, it says in, in John 4:19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus has now read her mail. He has now told her about her relationships. He has identified the thirst that exists within her and he has offered her something better. And so she sees this and she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped. You see, immediately it becomes about worship. What do you worship in your life? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to a woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews because Jesus came through the Jewish lineage. But the hour is coming, listen to this, and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The subject turns to worship. What is the point of worship? The Samaritans and the Jews had a dispute. The Samaritans said, well we the word Samaritan means keeper of the law they saw themselves as a sect of Judaism that felt that they were better than the Jews at worshiping God and following the law and so they separated themselves from the Jews that's why this feud existed and they would worship God on the mountain they said that mountain that specific place is the place where we're supposed to worship God and the Jews said, no you have it wrong it's actually the temple you're supposed to worship God in the temple and so there's this disagreement so a woman this woman she sees Jesus she sees that he's a And she says to him, can you settle this dispute for me? Where should I be worshiping God? And Jesus' answer is, the hour is coming and it's now here where it's no longer about a place, where it's no longer about fulfilling a religious rite or going through a ceremonial process where it's, where it's about a procedure or an action that you take on the outside. But the time is here where God is seeking true worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. People that would truly worship God from within. The hour is coming. And indeed it is now here. In spirit, Jesus says, we worship in spirit because true worship is about what's happening on the inside of you. True worship starts with this wellspring of life on the inside of you. And by the inside of you, I'm not just talking about your thoughts, but I'm talking about a moment in which you recognize what Jesus has done for you, and find yourself fully satisfied in Him. That's the point at which worship becomes true, is are you satisfied in Christ? Do you find your fulfillment in Christ? Do you trust in Christ? That's the moment where worship begins. That's the point of true worship, a moment of recognition and i got to tell you that as God revealed to me more and more of His love and His faithfulness, that this is something that gets me every time. Do you know that everything in this world gets old? Everything gets jaded. Everything gets, uh, fades out eventually. Things that excite us today won't excite us tomorrow. And sometimes, even certain aspects about what we do in church, we have to keep reinventing because because there's certain aspects of church that'll always get old. Thank God we don't do church the way that they did in the 90s or in the 80s or in the 70s or, you know, in whatever period. We're always finding new ways to express, but there's one thing that never gets old. There's one thing that gets me every single time, and it's the faithfulness of God, it's the goodness of the gospel. If you wanna become a true worshiper, it's not gonna happen by a a, a greater outward experience. It's not gonna happen by by you taking certain uh, cultural steps to express your worship. This is what true worship is about. Do you recognize how desperately you needed Jesus in your life and how absolutely faithful he was to you in your moment of greatest need? That he died for us while we were yet sinners. And when you see your own unworthiness and yet God's grace towards you, it's at that point where worship comes forth, a true gratitude. And I've got to tell you that so many times in my life, and it can be whether I'm driving in my car, whether I'm, whether I'm sitting alone somewhere, when I'm, I'm walking along in a mall, when I'm, I'm standing in the front row here at church on a Sunday, where I just think about how, God, how faithful God has been to me. And I just can't hold back the tears. It doesn't matter how many times that moment occurs. I just, I, I just keep going back to, I, I can't believe how good God is when I talk about the goodness of God, it makes me emotional because it fascinates me eternally. It never gets old. It never, it's this wellspring of life that just bubbles up within me eternally. No matter how jaded and burnt out and cynical I feel, just one thought about the faithfulness of God towards me and I'm overwhelmed all over again. When this hits you, the gospel grasps your fascination, your attention. You're arrested in that moment, and it holds you forever. It holds you, the goodness of God, the point of worship. You see, if you just see Jesus As an add on to your life. You're like, well, I could have kind of done this on my own, probably, but you know, Jesus came along and I guess He did some cool stuff, so I'll accept Him along with everything else I'm looking to for fulfillment in life. You'll never know what true worship is. You can go up on the mountain or you can go to the temple, you can come to Anchor Church on a Sunday morning, you can go to Connect Group in the week, you can do whatever you feel to do, but you would all be doing it religiously unless. It comes back to the purity of what Jesus did for you on the cross. The purity of the gospel. This is, I said this to somebody in the week. It guards your heart. I was speaking to a worship leader who was speaking about how easy it is. He is a worship leader who helps people enter in on, corporately on a Sunday morning. And he said to me, it is so easy to become jaded and just to go through the motions of leading a song or playing an instrument. And I said to him, do you know what will guard your heart? The purity of what Jesus has done for you. You know what's gonna make you fall in love with Jesus? To worship him truthfully? Just this understanding. He loves you. He loves you. Regardless of what you have done, regardless of how unworthy you are, Regardless of how many mistakes you have made and will make, He is absolutely committed to you. He is faithful beyond a shadow of a doubt. He stands by you in your darkest of times. He dances with you in your greatest moments. He is ever present with you because He loves you. He sees your deepest needs. Like He looked into this woman's life and He says, You're thirsty. And he offers you living water. And the moment you taste that water and you feel the fulfillment of God rising up on the inside of you like a wellspring of life, you're literally undone before God. There's nothing left but to just worship him. This is what God wants to do in our lives. Ultimately, what God wants is not a bunch of robots or a bunch of ants that just walk and march in a certain direction and just do whatever they've been told to do. He wants you to know him in the inner man. Deep down in your heart, experience the satisfaction of the presence of God in your life. And that's the point of true worship. That's the point of true worship. There's this scene in heaven where the elders and the angels are around the the throne. And every single time they look to Jesus, every time they look at the throne, they start crying out again the praises and the worship of God. They just begin to worship Him saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the Bible tells us that the elders that are sitting around the throne, they literally take their crowns off and throw it before Jesus. And they start declaring, Because He is the one that redeemed us by His blood. You see, even in heaven, sitting on a throne with a crown on your head, when you look to Jesus again, you're overcome by worship. Just take this crown, fall down in front of you, Jesus, because you're the one. You're the one who redeemed me by your blood. To redeem means to buy back. He bought us back from the law. He brought us back from the debt that we owed. And so when you, when you find this moment of recognition in how much you need Jesus and you trust Jesus, that moment of trust and fulfillment in Him, that's when worship goes from being an action that you do on a Sunday morning for 30 minutes before the preaching to a lifestyle of connectedness with God. You see, it's, it's not on this mountain and it's not in the temple, but true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. And those are the kinds of worshipers that God is looking for. So it's not just a religious thing that we do. It's finding out how much you need Jesus and depending upon him every single moment. So that's why you can worship Jesus in your career. You can worship Jesus in your family. You can worship Jesus through your relationships. You can worship Jesus with your money. You can worship Jesus with your time. You can worship Jesus with your thoughts. You can worship Jesus with every bit of your life as much as you're depending upon him in those moments. It's why I don't even like it so much when people say, we just gotta put God first. I get what they're saying, but actually you've gotta put God in the middle in the middle of everything that you do, as opposed to, okay, I'm gonna pray on Sunday, now I've put God first, now I can live the rest of the week in my own strength. That's not worship. That's not a lifestyle of worship that that God wants from us and for us. The best way to worship Jesus, this is what I'm saying, is to trust in Him. Just let that sink in for a moment. The best way to worship Jesus is to trust Him. Because when you trust Him by your actions and by your faith, you're declaring Him trustworthy. You're declaring Him faithful. You're declaring Him true. And this is also why true worship is based in the truth of who God is. So we worship the Father in spirit, and we worship him in truth. Because now we have come to find out who he really is. When we say that Jesus is faithful, when we sing songs that talk about how true he is, when we sing songs about the love of God, we're, we're, we're not worshiping what we do not know. Like this woman did. Jesus says, you're worshiping and you don't even know what you're worshiping. But when we have... Found our faith and that point of of recognition, that point of salvation in Jesus. When we begin to declare the things like, God, you're so true, God, you're so worthy, God, you're so faithful, we actually know those things to be true. Does it make sense this morning? In spirit and in truth, that He is the God of grace and of truth, that He is a faithful, loving Father, that He is the Savior of our souls. We can only worship truthfully when we have come to know the truth of who God is. And it's at that point that we abandon ourselves completely to God. We just give ourselves over to Him. Like those elders, we just fall down on the floor. We're just like, God, my life is yours. And that's what worship looks like. That's what worship looks like. What we do on a Sunday when we sing songs together is actually just a corporate expression and extension of what we've been living out all week. It's our lives, worship is our lives. We live in response to God and on a Sunday we just get to do it together. And we just get to express it together through song. Because you're satisfied. You're satisfied now in Jesus. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis had this issue with God in Scripture and how he always asked people to worship him. And C.S. Lewis, when he was an atheist, he's like, what is wrong with this guy? He He sounds like someone who is fishing for compliments and just wants people to praise him. I don't get it. As an atheist, those, those were C.S. Lewis' thoughts. And then he writes later on, once he had come to understand the gospel, and he says, I, I missed this fact. I was completely uh, blind to the fact that as people, we worship every day. If we find something that we enjoy, we talk about it, and we give ourselves to it, and we, and we love it. And then what we also do is we tell other people about it. We do that naturally. We create it as worshipers. And so it's actually a part of what fulfills us as people. It's, he says here, uh, so he says this writing now as a Christian. He says, Praise is not just the expression, but the consummation of our joy in what is supremely enjoyable, namely God. We have a lot of thoughts about God, but have you ever thought that God is the ultimate enjoyment? The supreme enjoyment. Of this world. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In demanding our praise, he is demanding the completion of our pleasure. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. hey, we've got a cynical view of of this world. We've got a cynical view of this God. When God created us, he didn't create us to be a bunch of robots that he could order around. He created us full of life, full of potential, full of love, full of heart, so that we could know him and be known by him. And when God says to us, worship me, what he is saying is I want to complete your joy. I wanna give you the greatest sense of satisfaction and fulfillment that you could possibly know on this earth. I want to fulfill your joy. When we worship God, our joy is made complete. In John 4, verse 27, Jesus has completed this conversation with this woman and, and his disciples come back. They had gone into Samaria to buy food. It says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Listen to this, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. She says, is this the Messiah? Is this the savior? Is this the one that has come to save us? But just notice that again, it's a a little bit that we can often skip over, but the Bible actually says, she left her water jar behind she left her water jar behind you see when you see jesus when you begin to worship jesus when you find your fulfillment in jesus all of a sudden you begin to leave the other things behind the other things that you were looking to to quench your thirst in this life you're able to forget about them they fade away into the background she leaves her water jar behind. And this liberates us completely. This means that we can have money without being slaves to money. It means that we can can have a career without being slaves to our careers. This means that we can have relationships without being slaves of our relationships. Because our fulfillment is in Jesus. We can leave the water jars behind. What we don't realize is that we ultimately worship whatever we look to for satisfaction. That's ultimately what we worship. This is why Jesus speaks about money at one point and he goes, you can't, you can't serve two gods. You can't worship money and God. It's actually an act of worship that we do when we find our fulfillment in certain things. So Jesus liberates us he liberates us through worship. If you're struggling with some sin in your life, and I'm sure all of us are, at some point to some degree or another, if you're struggling with some sin, the answer is not to focus a little bit more on your sin. The answer is to focus a little bit more on worshiping Jesus because it's through finding your fulfillment there that you're able to leave your water jars, your human efforts behind, the things that you look to and are held by for fulfillment. You can leave it behind. If you wanna overcome sin, start worshiping Jesus. And it doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter how weak you feel. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You're able to worship him in every situation just like Jesus did sitting by the side of that well. So this is the kind of worship that God wants. Not a hollow action. He says at one point, one of the gospels, he says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God doesn't want our lip service, our hollow actions. Are you satisfied in him? That's true worship. Are you fulfilled in him? Do you look to him in faith in every part of your life? Something interesting happens here, and I'm, I'm almost done this morning, but John 4, verse 43. These Samaritans come out, they spend time with Jesus. They, they, uh, they ask him, he stays two more days, and the Bible says many of them believe because of the words that he spoke. And then in John 4, 43, it says, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. He carries on on his journey. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. I don't know if you noticed that there was something weird in that verse again. We see this so many times. We saw it last week, Jesus' response to Nicodemus. It doesn't quite add up. And, And this verse actually says that Jesus departed for Galilee because he knew that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Galilee was his hometown. And then it says, so we're expecting them to dishonor Jesus. We're expecting them to say, well, Jesus, uh, why have you come here? You know, we we know who you are. We've seen you grow up. You know, we know that other people are saying that you're this prophet or whatever, but, but we don't honor you here. But it says that instead, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen what he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. He was there and had seen it take place. bit of a contradiction he has no honor in his hometown but yet he's welcomed it's actually still jesus talking it's actually still john talking about true worship because what he is saying is that there is a way to welcome jesus without actually welcoming him into your life There is a way to look to Jesus for all the things that he can do for you and and you wanna see a miracle and you want to see a sign and, and, and in certain moments you can look to Jesus without actually being truly satisfied in him. There's a way of welcoming Jesus that actually is dishonoring. Receiving him with no true honor for the person that he is. It's just an interest in signs and wonders and what I can get out of it. See, some Christians are just like, what can I get out of it? You're welcoming Jesus without honoring him. This is not about what we can get out of it. This is about recognizing how much we need the savior Jesus in our lives. So Jesus actually says in John 4, 48, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. not a genuine recognition of who Jesus is or finding your fulfillment in him. That's the opposite of the true worship that God wants from us and wants for us. Are we looking to just add something to our lives to make us feel better about ourselves? Like something additional to the other list of things that we hold on to for satisfaction? Or have we abandoned ourselves to Jesus completely? Have we given ourselves completely to Him? Final question this morning. Why does Jesus go back to Galilee? He had been there before and they dishonored Him the first time. And now it tells us in that verse, it says, it actually says this, It says, after two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, which means that Jesus went back because he knew they would dishonor him. Why would Jesus go back to people that he knew would dishonor him? Because that's the heart of God. He presents himself, he offers himself again and again and again and again, even to those who dishonor him. That's what causes us to become true worshipers is when we see no matter how many times we've rejected Jesus, no matter how many times we've walked in disobedience to Him, no matter how many times we've rejected His love and been cynical about our faith and, and, and turned our backs on Him and, and betrayed Him in moments, no matter how many times, no matter how sinful we've ever been, Jesus just doesn't stop offering Himself to us oh, those people dishonor me, so I'm gonna go there again. I'm gonna go there again. And right at the end of the story in John 4, Jesus raises the boy of, of, of a man from the dead, heals him from death, saves him from death. And that's what Jesus came to do. He offers us to, himself to us again and again and again, saving us from death, bringing us to life. We saw this right in the beginning in in John 1, 11, where it says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But this is who Jesus is, presenting himself to us, dying for our sins, offering a drink to an outcast woman, healing the official's son. This is exactly the thing that causes us to worship Jesus is when we see how undying his love for us is. Do you recognize it this morning? Do you recognize how much he loves you this morning? Do you recognize how unrelenting his love is for you this morning? That is the point of true worship. He refuses to give up on us because his desire is to see our joy made complete and us completely fulfilled in him.